0: You're listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast of readings and archives from City Lights books and publishers. To learn more, visit www.citylights.com.
1: Greetings, everyone, and welcome to City Lights Live. I'm your host, Peter Maravellis, and tonight we continue our 70th anniversary celebratory programming with a panel discussion That brings together some of those who are at the very heart of City Lights. The program is titled Insurgent Beatitudes, the History of a Cultural Center, and it'll explore the historic trajectories which brought us to the present. City Lights was founded as a cultural hub, providing space and encouragement for a creative cross-pollination across literature, the arts, as well as the realms of politics, philosophy, and social change. Now here's a chance to hear about our history from some of the folks who've been significant contributors over the years, working alongside Lawrence Ferlinghetti and beyond guiding City Lights into its present and future. Before we begin, as is customary, I'd like to remind everyone we are beaming to you from the unceded ancestral homelands of the Ramatissaloni peoples. I'd like to take this moment to offer our respect to those who have come before us as stewards of the land. Joining us tonight will be David Eulin as moderator of this panel. David has been a dear friend of the stores for many, many years. He is the author or editor of nearly 20 books, including Sidewalking, Coming to Terms with Los Angeles, and the novel Ear to the Ground. His fiction has appeared in Black Clock, The Santa Monica Review, Scoundrel Time, Ziziva, amongst others. He has a new book coming out in October. It's called 13 Question Method, published by Outpost 19. We're going to be hosting a little party for that on October 25th. So if you're in the hood, come on down. Also joining us tonight is Elaine Katzenberger, the executive director of City Lights and the publisher of City Lights Books. Also with us is Amy Shoulder, a literary editor, documentary filmmaker and former editor at City Lights Books, where she began her career. And last but not least, Paul Yamazaki, the principal buyer at City Lights Booksellers for more than 40 years. He has served as a great champion for books, writers, publishers, and independent bookstores. He's going to be presented with a Literary and Lifetime Achievement Award in November of this year. Uh, This will be a very casual conversation amongst friends. David will traverse each person's unique journey at City Lights, offering insight into its historical trajectories and really what is at the core of the values and mission of City Lights. We're gonna leave a little room at the end of the panel for questions and comments from the audience. So please do post those in the chat of your Zoom dashboard. Join us now in welcoming David Yulin to get the evening started. Welcome David, welcome everyone.
0: Thank you, Peter, and thanks everyone for being here. I'm really delighted to be part of this. Uh, City Lights has been a huge part of my um, cultural, intellectual, artistic life since I was a teenager when I first went to the bookstore. And, um, you know, it's an honor to be doing this and it was an honor to publish a book with city lights um and uh it, it's just been it, it's been a, a as you all know it's been a a a, a center So um, I should say I'm doing this from the office at Skylight Books, an independent bookstore in Los Angeles, because I have another event at seven o'clock. But um, we thought it was kind of interesting or useful since I think all of the independent bookstores in contemporary in the contemporary United States are um, really the kind of cultural and spiritual offspring of City Lights. So I'm kind of glad that we were able to make this all work. Um, we're going to just have a free-form conversation for about half an hour or so, and then we'll turn it over to some questions from the audience. And I think um, let's start with um, with you, Elaine, as the director of as, you know as the current director of of um, City Lights. He, why don't we just start with a little bit about your kind of your your journey into the City Lights? universe i want to talk a little bit later about kind of where that universe is going but why don't we just start with sort of you know your your oh i should also say we regrettably don't have nancy peters with us this evening we were hoping that she was to be able to be a part of this but she wasn't she's also a huge part of the history of um of the bookstore and the publishing company and of course lawrence as well lawrence ferlinghetti um who is not with no longer with us but who is still with us very much Um, and i'm sorry that both of those people can't be here this evening um on the 70th to discuss the 70th anniversary so anyway without further ado i will be quiet Um, elaine uh, let's start with you
2: um well i was recruited into the bookstore in 1987 by the former manager of the bookstore um i had worked in as a bartender while i was attending school and got to know richard berman and um was bartending around in north beach and um i'd come to the end of my rope doing that and knew i needed to find a career direction in my life other than becoming a great painter and uh Richie came in and offered me a job. And, um, so I started working at City Lights in the bookstore. And I'd always been an avid reader. You know, that was something from my childhood on. I was always one of those kids who read a lot. Um, so I'd been in the bookstore plenty, but I had never thought about working there. And, um, you know, like a lot of small businesses, I think, uh, City Lights is a place that recognizes, um, you know you you look at somebody who might be a keeper and then you try to keep them and you know paul is one of the people who initially sort of started working on me as like you know oh you know here like sort of trying to draw me in and, and um, encourage me to think about staying um and uh you know from there it's just been 37 years of working in various positions i started working in the publishing end of things um you know just proofreading books at first and um but then in 1993 Nancy Peters started to uh, give me some projects in the publishing house and Amy was still an editor at City Lights back then um and she and Nancy both mentored me initially and, uh, then Amy left for the, uh, big world of New York publishing. And that's really when it opened up a space for me to, um, really become an editor at City Lights and, and move forward. And, you know, um, 14 years later, the 14, Nancy retired. And then I assumed her position as director of the company and publisher of City Lights. And by that time, You know, Lawrence also had, uh, in 2007, Lawrence was 90, no, 88 or something. Um, he was sort of ready to not come in every day anymore. And, and Nancy had really been running things for him for quite a while. And, and when Nancy left, that's really when Lawrence also sort of let go completely. Um, so, um, that's when that's when i started and i've been at it for 16 years now
0: sorry <laughs> right. uh, uh that you know yeah that uh... It's a lot that I want to come back and talk to you about kind of what it was like um, once Lawrence and Nancy were not involved any longer and kind of the the, kind of the notion of the legacy of City Lights, but also the kind of um, the need for the organization the bookstore the the publishing company the cultural center to kind of move forward into the future as um as well but before we do that i want to kind of get everybody else's origin story and then we'll come back and talk about those things so amy um in terms of your own involvement um can you talk a little bit about how you got sort of you know brought into this into this nexus or how you came into this (laughs) nexus?
3: um i sort of pushed my way in i was just (laughs) um hanging out a lot at City Lights as a, um, in my final year of college, I was going to Berkeley, living in San Francisco with a seemingly useless English degree and really no fucking idea what I was gonna do with my life and had no real, um, I don't know, I just had no vision. And all I kind of knew was where do I feel good? And I felt good going to North Beach and being in the shop and discovering books and going next door to Vesuvio and <laughs> um, hanging out, but really kind of feeling a sense of, um, I don't know, I just had a longing to be part of that space. Um, though uh, I was so much younger at that time than anyone else who was around um, in the on staff. But for some reason I just saw myself there and and I don't even remember how I went up to Nancy Peters, um, who, you know, for those of you who know the geography of the store, know that, you know, these publishing is upstairs and so not inaccessible, but not exactly, you know, you don't run into folks. But I just I somehow met her, I somehow talked to her and said, I want to learn how to edit books and I wanna work here. And she's like, well, we don't have any jobs, and there's only a few of us who work here. And I was like, well, can you, you know, kind of be an intern? Um, like, not in any, like, official capacity. It was really just, like, can you teach me? And she was like, well, we don't really do that. And I don't know. I just somehow talked my way into her saying yes. And I think maybe she saw that there could be an extra pair of hands. Um, and... I was kind of a weird kid, and you know, maybe it just seemed like I would fit in. So uh I was, you know, delighted. I also like needed to make some money. And so they found Richie, who Elaine was just speaking of, you know, found some shifts for me to work in the in the shop, um, Thursday nights and Sundays, um, for starters. Um, and uh so then I just, you know, I got to know Rex Ray, who's was working on Thursday nights and going to the Art Institute Um, and Jen Sturgeon, who was also a lifer and working on Sundays and bookstore and, you know, and and then Nancy just really uh, taught me how to be an editor and, and also because it's such a small operation, how to be a publisher too. Um, And I started to, learn how she edited books and how she was in relation to her authors. And uh, you know, we had, you know, pre-desktop publishing. So we had our our type was was being, you know, made up the street by the research folks. And I'd run up there, you know, to get, you know, E and an extra and and cut and paste. You know, all this like <laughs> prehistoric <laughs> makes me sound a hundred years old. But you know, it was a great way to learn about um, book publishing and then also to work in the shop at the same time and be on the retail side of it was something i think that um uh made me a you know a much different kind of publisher later on to have had that experience of of uh being face to face with consumers at the same time so uh you know by you know within a few years i was acquiring and editing and um and and worked there for uh, for 10 years full time. Paul, you know, I want to bring this to you. What
0: Amy's describing sounds to me um, like a cultural or artistic infrastructure or ecosystem. There's City Lights, the type is being made at Research, there's Vesuvio, there's Rex is going to the Art Institute, all of these kind of institutions, um, many of which no longer exist, which makes me also feel like I'm a hundred years old. <laughs> <laughs> But I want to, I want you, 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 I mean, you've been there for longer than anyone um, on this panel. And I wonder, I wonder if you can talk a little bit bit about your origin, but also I'm I'm interested in your sense of that idea of um, City Lights as a cultural hub or as part of a a cultural infrastructure that didn't only involve City Lights, but also involved a whole bunch of other literary and artistic um, organizations and individuals um, throughout North Beach and the Bay Area.
4: Well, I think City Lights originated that I think that was part of Lawrence Ferlinghetti's original vision along with Peter Martin and that then shared by Rao and Nancy Peters but in 1953 when Peter and Lawrence opened the store North Beach was very much an immigrant community on the south side of Broadway was China mostly Chinese and Cantonese uh, populations on the north side of Broadway is it Italian and Latino and it's a it, um, and because it was a working class community, in, in many cases the rents were cheap, and it's it's a, which left room for artists to come in. And so there was also a period where, like, as the various immigrant communities achieved a greater kind of economic status, they were they were leaving the kind of core immigrant community, and, and that left even more space. And so you had. And then the third part of the community was like the old Barbary Coast, which was like international seamen. And so there's always this kind of that gave the whole neighborhood a bohemian flavor. And, it's, it's, uh, and so there's always this intermixion, you know, historically almost from 1849 all the way through. And Lawrence just saw, like, you know, in the kind of post war ferment, how to him and to many people, it seemed much freer than it did on the East Coast. And so, yeah. like, you have to look at, like, you know, Kenneth Rexroth and Robert Duncan, were really instrumental. In, like, when Lawrence first came in here, community was already in
0: formation. So you came in, and you came in as a, you were nineteen when you started. You were, you know, can you talk a little bit about your early, your sort of early? Yeah. Mur- so, like,
4: I was road? very active politically. Um, this is the late '60s, and so, like, I participated in stuff, draft week. Uh, October sixty seven remained active was participant in the, the San Francisco State strike, which was the longest student strike in American history. The person who brought me into City Lights was Francis Oka, who was also an activist, and so it's, it's um, and we were kind of political comrades, and so he brought me into City Lights. I was through my various political activities. I spent I was sentenced to two, 6 months sentences in county jail and I was there when Lawrence and Bob McBride who's the manager at that time hired me sight unseen because Francis said that it would be a good thing for city lights I think there goes another part like you know Lawrence's vision and kind of what Elaine and Peter and myself have done over the years is is exactly that build off of trust. As long as we share a common vision, everybody did their jobs with kind of, you know, in this very independent fashion. And I think we continue that to this day. And it's with, uh, you know, with out Nancy.
0: We may have lost Paul. Oh, here he comes back okay he's coming back
1: yeah yeah see if we can get him activated hold on a sec
0: well he's muted paul unmute i think if you unmute you're you're yeah
1: there you go there we go he's he's, he's...
4: yeah it's been cutting out on me my back yep you're back Yep, you're back okay so as i was saying like nancy and elaine have kind of given us the institutional stability and Sher Lawrence's vision that has allowed us to kind of continue to celebrate our 70th anniversary, and and I certainly think, and I think that's shared by everybody at City Lights, that you know that because of readers and writers, it's such an active conversation that you know, the the road for City Lights seems to extend well over the horizon, as far as I'm concerned. You know, well, past after I'm gone, there will be a City Lights.
0: Yeah, it's a, I mean it's an amazing yeah. thing. Elaine, maybe we can come back to you and talk about it. I want to ask you a little bit if you can talk about the influence of Nancy. Um, you know, and I also want to ask you about well, let's start with that and then I'll, I'll 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 follow up with something else.
2: So you want me to talk about Nancy's influence yeah.
0: a little bit, yeah, if you don't mind.
2: You know, I mean uh I Paul has said many times and I think I I I have seen it myself even what Paul always refers to when he says this is before I started working there and he says you know without Nancy City Lights wouldn't exist and um and that has to do with a certain period when City Lights was being really mismanaged and had kind of gone you know to a bad place and Lawrence was busy being Lawrence and you know he was an international celebrity poet and you know a painter and 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 being who he was and trusting that These people were doing their job and they weren't doing it very well. And, um, you know, Nancy stepped up and sort of brought a certain, um, you know, I I don't know if it's business like uh, practices, because I don't think she knew anything about that herself at the time either. I mean, she was completely self-taught when, uh, but, you know, she did sort of help Lawrence to uh, put things right along with. Paul and some other folks who worked in the store stepped up into the roles. Paul is in the role he assumed then now. So, but what I witnessed during my own time, like I came, you know, six or seven years later, um, you know, Nancy uh, did what a lot of women do in situations like this, which is, you know, organize things, get it straight, make sure that all of this creative stuff going on around actually fits into some framework that makes sense so that people function and that the bills are paid and you know i just feel like in some ways it's it's very traditional that at least you know through patriarchal society that there's always like some woman behind the great man and nancy was that person and nancy was a brilliant poet and an artist herself and um she had her own um desires and goals when when it was time for her to really work alongside lawrence as an editor and she really shaped city lights publishing house i think you know from the time from the 70s when she sort of came in and joined lawrence as a sort of part-time semi-assistant and whatever until when she really assumed things and she has a had a large part in shaping things and um and And Amy's story tells you something um yeah. key too because it the same thing I mean that kind of generosity of um spirit in terms of like mentoring someone and showing you you know this is how it's done um uh, that's how I learned too and and I'm not the only one and Amy you know there are others beyond Amy and I, and so I think that. Nancy is this unsung hero of of the history of City Lights, because for most of the time that she was here doing her job, Lawrence was still quite active and visible in the world. And um, people always just assumed he was doing everything. And Nancy was naturally a, a sort of retiring personality and didn't want all the front, you know, attention. And so. But she's really the one who was doing the work and um, and had a vision along with him and helped shape his vision. And he's very, you know, I mean, when speaking to him and he's done interviews, he's very clear about that too. You know, he never would not acknowledge that. I think that, you know, it was a a real collaboration between the two of them. But there is there was always, and that is something that um, I try to model as well. What Paul is talking about is this sort of um openness and generosity of like letting people learn and and encouraging people to learn and take roles and and be and have opportunities i mean this place is really i don't think there's many stories anymore but even in 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 the era in which we're talking about where people like start at the bottom and rise to the top you know i mean that is that really says a lot about what the ethos of this place is, and so you know, it's something that I feel like um, it's just part of what needs to continue along with everything else. Here is that that kind of um, that spirit of, of nurturing people into you know futures that they might not even know
0: they want you know well that's true that's true of the readers as well right i mean in terms of hopefully hopefully the effect of of the books
2: yeah absolutely absolutely
0: uh amy you know i was thinking when we first met when you sent me or first got to know each other when you sent me a copy of leslie dick's first book i think which you had edited um and it was interesting because i had it was when i it was with that book that i first began to really focus on kind of let's call it second wave city lights or you know i i was familiar with all the beat work of course even though like lawrence always said he wasn't a, an in-house publisher for the beats um but it marked a real shift. And then, you know, the books that started coming out, I think in the late eighties, and then moving into the nineties and, and ongoingly represented both a kind of continuation of the legacy, but also an expansion of the legacy and a move into other more contemporary aesthetic and and political concerns. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that from your position um, on the ground, as that was happening, as you were beginning to acquire books and publish books, the kind of leeway or freedom you had the sense of, of relationship to the, the tradition, if we want to use that word, of city lights, but also to kind of expanding it.
3: Sure, I, that Leslie Dick book, "Without Falling," I think was my first um, book that I acquired. I was, um, yeah, I believe that's true. Leslie is um, an American writer who was living in England, and um, and I. And it was a Serpent's Tale book, and I brought it to the U.S. and and really loved that book. But you know, my sense, I think, of of starting to work at City Lights was that here was this, you know, interesting kind of uh, canon of renegade radical literature, but it didn't feel up to date to me um, in terms of American um, writers. I think at that time Nancy was was really um, interested in what was happening in other cultures and other parts of the world, and I saw this opening for me to bring in um, the kind of marginalized voices um, in the eighties, you know, late eighties, early nineties that you know would fit with the kind of mandate that that was what you know City Lights was based in. So um, so I went in 1989, for example, um, I met Karen Finley, the performance artist in New York, who had a, a significant following in the downtown New York world, but was only starting to perform in other cities. And when I saw her perform and saw and felt the kind of um, literary foundation of her practice um had this idea that we could make a book which um turned out to be shock treatment which was her first book in 1990 um
0: and another wonderful book
3: yeah yeah thank you i i think so too and um and that really dispatched me in looking for and finding and bringing to city lights the um, the queer voices, um, that would continue the tradition, um, and uh the the kind of other genre kind of books that I've always favored, um, that don't necessarily fit into poetry or um uh, fiction or essay, but sometimes fall within um, multiple genres, and there was space for me to do that.
0: Yeah. Paul, I want to ask you about the this same kind of question from the bookseller's perspective. Um, I, what Amy's describing is an, a kind of incredible freedom to sort of think for oneself, you know, and I know that the bookstore also operates that way in the sense that, you know, the the booksellers themselves have a lot of autonomy over books that come in. You're picking books, not just for or not even necessarily at all for commercial value but for literary value can you talk a little bit about the curation of the bookstore and, and the books in the bookstore
4: yeah i think i think that's a really good question david i for me it begins in conversation and there's like the conversations among my colleagues at city lights booksellers from around the country and editors and and people in publishing and it's just and it really starts very simply, like, asking the question, how does this book arrive in my hand that I love so much? And we just, and it's, it's, uh, and inevitably that leads back to the editor and, and having that conversation and having that knowledge of what a particular editor does, you know, and how they do it, just like in the same way that we have understanding of what Amy and Elaine do, you can extend that to editors around publishing houses, large and small. It makes... City Lights appear a lot smarter than we actually are just because we have a sense of what these editors are. And so it looks like we're taking these huge chances or we kind of like promoting something that really hasn't like broken the surface. But we know because we've had these long relationships and conversations with these editors that they do really amazing work. And like Amy was Karen's first book, Leslie's first book, you know, other. And so we're able to do these things and it really does make us look smarter than.
0: Yeah. Gil Quadro, City of God another one I think about yeah. another another city lights book I think about all the time. Um yeah um Elaine can you talk a little bit about now? I mean it, I think this will be the last question before we turn it over to quest- to to questions from the audience but um you know sitting here now in 2023 Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, it's different. You know, North Beach is no longer the bohemian um, landscape that it was when City Lights opened. Um, San Francisco is expensive. And um, yet, you know, yet City Lights continues. And you're also thinking in terms of sort of how to build out the list of books you're publishing for for the future, recognizing the lineage, but also moving forward. So it's a big picture question about, I guess, the 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 future of City Lights and, you know, where you where you see the institution going.
2: Um, I think the it's really important that City Lights continues to exist. I feel like it's quite obvious that we fill a need. You know, the bookstore is, it's, it, there are always people in the store. You yeah. know, um, it doesn't mean that we're making money hand over fist and everything is rosy. Uh, unfortunately, book selling and publishing are not particularly, um, remunerative, uh, activities, but it does show you that People need this and the books as well. I mean, you get a lot of feedback from people about what we publish, not just the stuff that was, you know, including the sort of canonical books from the beginning, you know, Allen Ginsberg and what have you, you. but also, also, you know, more current current things and um, I think that, it, that City Lights embodies a set of ideals and, and values and, and artistic sensibility and, and social, socio political sensibilities that are reflected in the books we carry and the books we publish that um, communicate a message and embody something. We're, we're embodying a set of ideals by being here. And the world has changed since 1953, and it's in many ways, you know, and in, in, at least in this regard it's gotten worse there aren't very many spaces that actually are idealistically driven anymore for people to go and know that it's not a place that people are just trying to make a buck you know and i think there's a big sense of relief for a person walking into this space or opening the pages of a book and knowing that you know knowing that there are other human desires that are being fulfilled and expressed and shared and so to me like above and beyond any particularity of you know what books we sell or what books we publish like that mission is is clearly an imperative and so you know our job as the current uh iteration of this institution is to make sure that it continues and and you know the the most challenging part of it is to look at ways of um you know fiscally stabilizing it um it you know it's not it's not easy to publish books or be a bookseller and especially in san francisco as you mentioned it's an expensive city it's hard to pay people a decent wage on the kind of profit that you make off of doing this activity. And so, you know, finding ways to, creative ways to look forward and think about how that's going to work for a future generation of people who might not already be established. You know, Paul and I are of an age where we've been in this city a long time. Once you've been here, you have your feet in the ground, you're okay. But if you're just starting, that's not easy. And so it has to be a place where people, younger people can come and work. You know, and it also has to be. Um, I think passing forward the the mission of the place is the other biggest challenge. You know, it's not like you can take all of it and put it in a bottle and stop it, and then it comes out and someone can breathe it and you know know what they're supposed to do. So you know, it's like that. That all has to be um, passed forward in a way that makes sure that City Light stays true to itself as well, because you know if if we didn't there are so many there have been so many opportunities along the way for city lights to do things and engage in things that would diminish you know uh the integrity of of who we are and what we do and you know i think there's so many many times where we turn down those opportunities and we're met with absolute incredulity it's just <laughs> like you don't want that money you don't want it's like well no, actually, that's not what we do. And, um, and to me, that part is really, I think that's the part I, I chew on the most about how to make sure that um, future stewards of this institution will know, you know, what it is, how to make those decisions. You know, and it's a constantly morphing and changing environment. It's not as if I'm making the decisions that Ferenghetti made in 1953, you know, but 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 there are sort of do's and don'ts that aren't always obvious. And and they're not necessarily obvious to people who have grown up in a different era, you know, a different era of. uh Of social trends and the trajectory of capitalism and, you know, politics in this country and all of these things that, you know, some of us who, I mean, I certainly, I wasn't born when City Lights was founded, but at least my life was a little bit more proximate to those years. years. But somebody now is. it might as well be the Civil War. So it's like, you know, how do you make sure that People connect the dots and continue to do that, and I feel like that's the most important thing, you know, to me anyway.
0: Yeah, no, I think that makes complete sense, and it's, you know, I just it, it I don't really believe in holy spots, but for me, City Lights is a holy spot. It always has been. Um, I make a, I make even if I'm in San Francisco for like an afternoon, I always make make sure to to go there. I love it. I can't imagine life without it um and i love you guys it's really great to see you and and talk to you so let's turn it over to a couple of questions from the audience before we have to um before we have to go yeah
1: so um lucy asks how has the prevalence of publicist changed how author customer staff engage in conversation and community Accessibility versus time, local versus visiting. Any takers on that? Maybe Paul. Hold on, if I can find him. Paul.
4: Oh, I, you know, generally, like, you know, with, with, with you, Peter, it's like, uh publicists aren't a big part of our world in the sense where we're worried because we have direct engagement with the uh with the editors and and authors and publishers in many cases and so and and even if we did it it just our key thing is really just to be able to focus on the writer and the reader and, and it's it's um and the, that those kind of ephemeral conversations really don't play a part in our consideration or kind of our practices. And that it's. it's uh, um, and I think it's a real privilege to be able to do that. Not all our colleagues have that same kind of space that we have to operate in. And so it's, uh, and I think being fully aware of that privilege makes us even focus harder on, on trying to bring as much excellence as we can to as wide as readership as we can.
1: I'm looking for more questions and I don't see any just yet, but David, uh, might you have uh, something else that's on the tip of your tongue? Oh, you are muted. Hold on. Let me see if I can get you up and running.
0: All right. I am am unmuted. Um, Let's see. I mean, I think the only other question that I would ask, and maybe it kind of spins off of this a little bit, we have been talking about it, but the relationship between the bookstore and the publisher strikes or the bookstore and the publishing arm strikes me as 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 unique because as we've been hearing, um, you know, people work across borders. Amy, when she was starting was working in the, working shifts in the bookstore and also uh learning how to edit the books are obviously sold at the store in in all kinds of ways maybe um if anyone wants to jump in on kind of i think it's a and i think there is something really valuable about having that consumer facing experience like interacting with the readers who are actually buying and reading these books so perhaps if i mean this is i guess a jump ball question if any of you want to jump in and talk about the benefit or the value of of both of those of the, the kind of symbiotic relationship between the um the bookseller and the publisher
4: well i know from a bookseller's point of view being having the opportunity to talk to lane to know nancy and amy and to have a an understanding of what the editorial and publishing process is makes it much easier for the bookstore to kind of be able to have a a more ecological sense of like what we are all part of together you know and, and not to see it as well we do this and we do that kind of thing but to see that more as a process and so I think that's really fortunate from my point of view is on the bookstore side to 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 have that in mind.
2: And we lost Paul again. And we lost Paul. Can I say something about
3: this? <laughs> I just when I um when I heard that question about um Publicists, my thought immediately went to Stacey Lewis, who does uh marketing sales publicity um, at City Lights, and, and she too has been a lifer. And I know she's on this this um uh Zoom as well, and and really um is the kind of like anti-publicist um that City Lights needs and deserves, where she really understands the heart of the work that's being done. By the press and presents that to the world of book reviewers and and also now direct consumer to the public. So I think on the publishing side of it, you know, I think um, you know under especially with Elaine's leadership, there's been this real understanding of with the changing technologies and with the changing relationships that now presses can have um, and must have through these other platforms that aren't just about, you know, sending out review copies to um, critics, you know, and journalists, Um, you know, there's been this more sophisticated approach and this kind of hand selling and relationship building um, that is also part and parcel of like this larger kind of sensibility that we've been talking about this evening about what City Lights tries to uh, uphold and maintain and, and value and cherish about its relationships.
0: Yeah. And Elaine, do you want to have the last word on this? Um, I mean,
2: I would say, yeah, I, I think that all of us who, let's see, uh, certainly Stacy, me, um, being, you know, not everybody who works for the publisher right now came through the bookstore, but both of us definitely did also. And we work in the bookstore. I mean, we're part, we're part of the crew with, you know, people have different jobs, but it's one thing. And, um, being informed and being part of an understanding how a bookstore works, what a bookstore needs, you know, how that all works definitely makes a better publisher. It makes a better anybody working in publishing. A lot of people who work in publishing are handicapped that way because they don't really understand, you know, how, what, how, how what those relationships mean and what this what the you know, we understand how difficult our jobs are, but we don't understand the economy of the bookstore and how difficult that is. So and and I would say that, you know, Lawrence uh, and Peter Martin, I mean, it was this combo was started so that two things could happen. And, you know, it was meant always to be a symbiotic relationship so that both of these activities would somehow generate enough revenue so that both activities could happen with one without the other wasn't possible, you know. And, um, and up until now, you know, that still worked to a certain degree that both help each other. And, um, and also, you know, there's a way in which. Um, when you have a a mission, you know, one of the missions is to have this absolutely great bookstore where people can come in and and find things, you know, of all types. But one of the missions is like, but you have your point of view specifically that you want to express also. And then you you can put it in between the covers of a book and push that out into the general world. And so, like, people don't have to come to your bookstore. They can find that. All over the place. And so your voice is amplified in that way. And I think that those two activities are hand in glove for City Lights. That's why City Lights has the, you know, the kind of, um, following that it has. You know, I think there's a whole lot of people who love the bookstore a great deal. And, and like you said, you know, you you come here and it's like a space that feels like a pilgrimage, but I think it's also uh, the books that sort of perpetuate this loyalty and this curiosity about, well, what are the people there? What, what is what is City Lights doing? You know, and I think that that is a uh, an amazing uh, resource that we wield, and that is, you know, Lawrence and at first, and then Lawrence and Nancy, and now we. You know, that's something that we have that is, um, like, really powerful. And from the time I started working at City Lights, I knew that. And it was just so obvious, like, people are looking to City Lights for some direction. So we have a great deal of, of uh, agency, and it's our responsibility to use it wisely and, you know, And deploy it, you know, in the way that is very intentional and and respectful of, you know, the fact that this is a privilege to to have that amount of power. And, you know, um, I think that. It's uh, that amount of, uh, you know. I I see people react to the media all the time, and it's always been the way it is that, you know, the. people there are news stories and then you hear very intelligent people simply parroting some thing that's been said so you know when you have that kind of ability to influence people's thinking and people's minds you have to really um think hard about what it is you're going to do with that you know and um and i i think that's something that the bookstore and the publisher together you know that that's quite a lot and that's it's It's good.
0: It's great. Um, I think, are we, should we close it out, Peter? Yeah, we're
1: at the top of the hour. Also, you've got an event to uh, attend.
0: I just want to say thank you for asking me to be part of this. It's been a real, it's an honor to do this. And it's just a delight to talk, to see you all and talk to you. And May City Lights go on for another 70 and another 70 after that and another 70 after that. It's um, yay. Thank you all. David, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, David. Really much appreciate you doing the honors tonight and special thanks to my esteemed colleagues. Uh, I think it's important that our story be heard even though we all tend to be a little modest about tooting our horns. So I really do appreciate that, that you know we all kind of stepped to the plate. Um, today's event has been made possible by support from the City Lights Foundation, continuing the legacy of our founder, the late Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Please be well, everyone. Take care. We hope to see you all again soon.
0: Thanks for listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast from City Lights bookstore and publishers. Our theme music was provided by Axolotl. All City Lights events are free. To see upcoming events at City Lights bookstore in San Francisco, check out www.citylights.com events.